dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Him forever. I Why forgot do you to say get a- to Him. Oh, do you you say that at the monastery? Don't you? Yeah. Okay. You I mean forget what it is. Glory forever. Yeah. There's there's one of our. And I hope I haven't taught this, talked about this before, but there's one of our, I think our officially in our, in our Ruthenian uh, Byzantine Catholic Church in the U.S., there, there's a, a officially promulgated document. I think maybe it's a hierarchical divine liturgy or something that, that says, I, I, I forget if it's that or if it's the God With Us educational series. Anyway, it's either the way we teach kids or the way we ordain priests. <laughs> one of those two things. It says in the document, are those things Jesus really Christ. all that different? <laughs> eh, yeah, yeah. This is Jesus Christ, and the response is glory forever. So I'm trying mm. to be consistent, which is not like me usually. Usually, I don't care. But anyway, so I've, I'm. But I forget where I got it from now. I should look that up before I say anything publicly. It's a good thing this isn't public. How you know you doing, what? Sister? Do we actually say that at the monastery, or is it just me? Let me think. No, we say it. We say glory to Him forever. We must because Mother says it at the end of every meeting and stuff. Glory to Jesus okay. Christ and. And I would totally notice if we'll be obedient. If then. Mine was different than everyone else's. Yeah, um, I like that you're sticking your pinky out as you drink your sparkly whatever it is. That's funny. Yeah. And this is like the cheap one. This is the where where is Signature Select? Is that Kroger or is that Target? No, I don't know. Soleil S O L E I L. It's like they're just copying Lacroix and trying to make it sound all fancy. It know. is kind of fancy though. Listen. Yes. I don't remember what I was going to say. Shoot. Glory forever. Glory to him forever. You want me to Kids. listen to your, your confusion? No, I said listen because I was going to tell or, you something or ask or children. you something. But then, but then I couldn't remember what it was that I was going to ask you. So. Because the confusing thing is that so when priests, when priests do the kiss of peace right before the creed, uh-huh. They they say I believe it says in in one of these books I think it's for the ordination of a priest it says I believe at that point they say Christ is among us, mm-hmm. and then the response is He is and will be. Yeah, I don't know for that one. I don't know what we do at the monastery because Christ is among us. We only encounter like at a, the kissing of the cross or something. Yeah, and I usually say, what do I say? I say He is and ever shall be. Yeah, I but I don't know what that. the other nuns say because we're not all saying it at the same time, so I've never paid attention to what they oh. say. They might say he is and will be. So just something to make people think, there's a, and Bishop John, God bless him, is actually kind of bringing this back. And that's the, uh, the kiss of peace among the people, which oh, I know for you, for many of you uh, Roman Catholics, you may think that that's kind of an innovation or a new thing or a distraction from the reverence of the liturgy or whatever, but the kiss of peace is, is, is really ancient, especially I, I'm guessing for the Roman Catholics as well, but it is for us Byzantines. The difference, and here's where the argument comes in, but we should, we should bring on a Roman Catholic to talk about this, but um, if they want, I, I don't want to just be polemical either. I don't want to cause trouble, but the difference <laughs> is, that, is that in the Byzantine liturgy, we, we do it at probably what many would say is a more appropriate kind of pausing point to to do the kiss of peace before the creed rather than in the middle of the uh, middle of the um, consecration if you will the 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 communion uh preparation what we would call the anaphora um 
But the same thing is true. I don't know if you knew this, sister. Um, but there are many in the East who actually do not do the homily till the end of the Divine Liturgy, because even the homily can be distracting from kind of the the course of the liturgy. I mm-hmm. think the reason it got moved back is because of whatever culture, whatever time, it's just hard to remember the gospel at the end. And it's it's much easier if you're preaching on the word of God to have the homily right after you hear the word of God, rather than kind of saying, well, we're gonna keep this reverence throughout the entire course of the hour and a half long liturgy. And then at the end, when there's a little bit of a different attitude, namely you're, you're sitting down, oftentimes to, to hear a homily preach. So you're listening rather than participating actively. Uh, that's when you do the homily. And if I, I, I think I would be kind of a judgmental, you know what, and probably do my homily at the end of the liturgy if I didn't have severe ADD and I would totally <laughs> forget the gospel or any of the readings if we had to wait all the way until the end. So maybe you need to put the readings like in the bulletin or something like this. I, I Father Michael's know. talking too much. <laughs> What's going on you're in your ta- life, sister? Well, you're talking a lot, yeah. I just don't really have a response. I'm pretty tired yeah. today. I'm like, I'm tired and I'm grumpy and I've already snapped at at least three different nuns, two nuns have and a, a Snickers. dopamine. <laughs> have a Snickers. That's like one of the, I love that, I love that that campaign, the ad campaign with Snickers where they mm-hmm. have like a, a famous angry celebrity on there mm-hmm. and then they're like barking at people and then they hand them a Snickers and then it just turns into their friend some commercial actor that nobody knows. So I think I had this happen. I, I had this happen when, um, when I was teaching, I've maybe told this story on the podcast before. So sorry if I have, but one day I was teaching and it was my first period and I just was snapping at the kids so much. Like they, they didn't deserve it at all. And I just kept snapping at them. And finally one of them, she goes, um, Miss, have you had your coffee yet? And I, and I turn and I look and my coffee mug is sitting, I I would always put it, I always had it propped on the whiteboard, like where the dry erase markers go. I had, I would have it propped on that little Mm. dry erase marker platform. What is that called? Anyway, shelf, shelf? I don't know. It was propped there and uh, I looked over and it was still full and I was like, you know what, Sierra, I haven't. (sighs) And thank you for loving me anyways. And then I had some coffee and I was much nicer to them. I've realized that like adults are so hum, like adults, adults, like I'm not an adult. Married people tend to be very, very humble because their children make them humble. Like their children mm-hmm. say things that are embarrassing and they, they make the car all dirty. And, and, you know, and it's just like, there, there's things like that, that, and, and I think we celibates tend to think that we're above that. Like, cause we kind of put forth this face that we, mm. we don't have we don't have little beings kind of keeping us humble all the time, <laughs> um, but I, I honestly think but that you that have actually, me. <laughs> yeah, but you it's, have I, me to keep you humble. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, and I do appreciate you, my spiritual daughter, keeping me humble. Um, but there's there's something about I think w- since we have created, and this actually helps leads into my topic. But since we, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say here, celibate priests, which is the most common thing here in, in the United States, um, among all all Catholics, um, we have created this this image of having it all together, and mm-hmm. I think that's what people now begin to expect, and so it's. I mean, I, I know that there has been instances and like I was at a parish in Pittsburgh 
um, serving as a seminarian. And I heard that pretty much literally, this is years ago, the priest had already, was already dead, but he would literally come onto the altar. He'd have nothing during the week, no services or anything like that. Nobody would see him. He'd come on Sunday mornings and he was always drunk. And he would just walk mm. up on the altar. He'd do the divine liturgy, obviously drunk. People would kind of, you know, prop him up. They'd, you know, they, they'd probably, you would say enable him. Someone's got to call him out, but they would, he would, you know, do the line of liturgy, consecrate the Eucharist, get it out, go back home again. This is horribly scandalous. Why are you telling us this? See, this is the problem, sister. You're you're part of the problem right now because you're 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 you're, you're assuming that priests have it all together. Now, I'm again, not assuming that priests have it all together. He but he should be because you know me. So he 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 should <laughs> he should have been removed. Obviously, he should have yeah. he should have been given help. He should have been in a rehab program. He should have been called out. I agree with that 100. percent What I'm saying is, is that I think I think there's a, I think we're both culpable. Both priests and the people are culpable. We've fed off each other to create this, this unrealistic expectation of, of priests kind of having a nice clean car, have, you know, having a nice clean house, having, having an organized life. Now, most of us that know, no priest know that that that's a struggle and that's a, that's a very real thing. By the way, did you did you read? Did, so I I don't you you I think you saw it because we talked about it on Slack. But um, Kathy News Agency CNA named us one of the top ten podcasts for the summer. Yeah, did that you was did shocking. you read the uh, did you read the the little note on it? Like the description of it. Yeah, the description of it. Yeah. Did you did you did you notice anything in there that kind of may have been a, a little hint at why whoever wrote that up at CNA? Like, like, like what it was a, a unique thing about our podcast? Uh, no, I read it so quickly. Oh, that you're famous from Catholic well, stuff you no, should know. No, 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 there was that part. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, though. Then I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> oh, what it said. It's a, it's it says something like, um, it's an honest look. Oh, honest and open discussion. Honest and open. Yeah. But it's like I I read maybe I read it wrong, but I read in that there's a certain. Like, which I think is beautiful, but this is like kind of what I'm getting at here. There, there is a honesty. In other words, there is a vulnerability that you and I have shown mm-hmm. in, in our in our honest analysis of ourself. Yeah. I don't think they mean like an honest analysis of the church. We've really not that we have not been critical of the church, which I I, I don't want to be critical of the church in that way. But mm-hmm. um, I think we've been very critical of ourselves, and I, I do think that that's um, that's why somebody may say, "Oh, it's a very honest podcast." In other words, mm-hmm. they're, they're they 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 they're not trying to to hide much. We're of course hiding <laughs> things. We're both hiding things. We always hide things. Um, but but we're I, I think we're pretty measured and discerning in, in what we do share. But I think it's more than most. And mm-hmm. anyway, so I th- but I do think that that when 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 clergy and self Hold on, hold on. I want to say something about that top 10 thing. I Because Mother Gabriella got another good burn on me about this. Because we're, <laughs> Docomos Olivia and I are talking about this at the table and Mother Gabriella's there and uh, Olivia was like, yeah, that's so cool. And I was like, I know, but it kind of makes me wonder, like, what are the other pod, Catholic podcasts out there that we made top 10? And because I find this pretty shocking. And Mother Gabriella goes, there's actually only nine other Catholic podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I thought that was and, very funny. And you know what? In, in all humility, I don't even know if it says top 10. I think it just says 10 podcasts oh, really? for the summer, Got 10 ca- podcasts listen for the summer. So I don't think we're, I don't think they consider us ranked. They're just saying, hey, if you haven't listened to this one yet, give it a try. That's good. Yeah. I, got, I had try. another parishioner say, 
oh, I listen to your podcast because most high pressures, of course, don't listen to this. Oh, uh-huh. I listen to your podcast, and and now watch he'll listen to this one. And he, he's like, he's like, yeah, it. Um, well, I think he blamed it on his wife. He's like, my wife had some, uh, my wife had some issues with it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, go ahead. He's like, you're. He said, you're, you're. Um, what did he say? He said something. I don't think he meant it. But he says something about the way the way you interact, and then then you you banter too long. Uh huh. And I was like, "Oh, welcome to that club!" Like, as yep. we believe me, we have heard that before. Um, it's so it's so fascinating because I was just talking with someone about this recently. I I feel like this banter we're doing okay because you're kind of already talking also about what your topic is a little I'm, bit. I'm trying to theologize the, the banter. I'm trying to make it about Jesus. That's my new goal. Yeah, whatever. So, so what are you so, going to say now, Jesus? <laughs> no, I was going to say that the other day I was talking to someone about uh, about the podcast, someone who hadn't heard it before, and they were asking about some of the feedback we've gotten and things like that. And I was like, you know, it's interesting because I I hate banter. Like when I'm listening to podcasts, I hate banter, and um, but I've realized that I'm the minority in that. Like from our listeners. Mm-hmm. From our listeners, the people overwhelmingly tell us how much they love the banter, and I'm like, I just don't get it. I I hate listening to banter, so but I'm a minority, I guess. So I think we've talked about this before, but there are, there are reasons for that. Like some people are very eloquent that you have to earn the right to be heard. So in other words, we have to like present the fact that we are human and we have interests outside of podcasting one hour a week. And uh, and things like that, and then then they when they say that like oh this is this is someone who I would trust to share their thoughts, and I'm actually being mm-hmm. interested in what they say. Um, and you kind of you kind of earn that right to to present whatever you're presenting. So it's not only about the truth of what we're saying, um, but it's about or the goodness or the beauty of what we're saying. But it's it's actually about. I mean, I'm I'm gonna listen because I mean, th- there's a million podcasts out there. There's a lot more than nine other Catholic podcasts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, Mother Gabriella. Um, but there's um, but th- there's a uh, so you can get you can get this information in many different places. So we and so we, we earn that right. Know that we earn that right by talking about dinosaurs and grasshoppers, and <laughs> that's what our banter was last time. I think. <laughs> I I was I didn't know what else to say. You put me on the spot. Oh, You're like do right. banter. Let's, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to the topic. All right. Okay. So um, I want to give a disclaimer in the beginning of this. Um, I am not a historian, and I, I'm only kind of beginning my, my further appreciation of the writings of the fathers, especially the writings of the church fathers regarding vocation and priesthood. So um, this is going to be... At the beginning of my journey, hopefully when I'm podcasting two years from now, I'll be much more able to explain the actual situation that the fathers encountered in the world around them. But I just had some thoughts that I would love to bounce off you, sister, and to try to process while talking, which is kind of my thing. Um, well, while I while I talk about something, but I, I have a, a source material here that is oh I forgot to print out my notes. That's all right. I'll just I can look, read them off here. Um, oh, Michael. So uh, so I want to I want to kind of go through a couple paragraphs from Gregory the Theologians, uh, what many scholars nowadays call the the Defuga, which is is Oration Number Two. Um, and it's his his apology, uh, his explanation for the reason why, right after being ordained, he felt that he was manipulated to being ordained, and he fled his responsibilities um, to go become a monk again. 
Um, and, and, and this only lasted about six months, but what happened was, is he had, he had grown up, uh, Gregory Nazianzus, who was from a, a town of Nazianzus in, in what is now modern day, uh, Turkey, Southern Turkey. And he, he was, I think his mother pretty much converted, was a Christian. She converted his father, but he, I don't think he really embraced the faith at that point. He was, one of the stories says that he got on a boat to go to Greece to study because he he's had a, a wealthy family and he was able to, to, to move it to study. So, but on, on the boat, that is how oftentimes happens. Um, there was a storm and he, he kind of had one of those, uh, there's no atheists in the foxhole moments and, and kind of said, Lord, if you save my life, I'm all, you know, I'll acknowledge you more often or think about you more often or whatever. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of his, his personal embrace of the faith. When he got there, he befriended, um, obviously he made some friends, but two of his closest friends were Basil the Great, the Great, um, also one of the three holy hierarchs and one of the Cappadocian fathers along with Gregory in both of those, both of those instances, both of those um, identifications, um, the Cappadocian Categories. fathers, I don't know. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to think of in other words, but, but we, we have the, we have the title, the, the, the Cappadocian fathers that are, um, two Gregory's and Basil. So Basil the great Gregory theologian, um, and, uh, Gregory of Nyssa. And then there's the three holy hierarchs, which we celebrate at the end of January. And that's Basil the great Gregory, the theologian, John Chrysostom. So, um, but Gregory's like all over the place. Cause Gregory's also one of what, what's the other list of three sister, that Gregory's part of the, the like the, what's the biggest, what's the biggest, the, I already used it a few times. What's the greatest title we have of this man, Gregory Nazianzus? Um, Gregory the theologian. Yes. And how many, how, how many, how many saints in our church do we give the title theologian? I'm going to say three. <laughs> that is correct. Does that include Simeon, the new theologian? I just handed you that one. Yes, it does. Okay, so Simeon the New else, Theologian, sister? Gregory the Theologian, and St. John the Theologian. Yes, yeah, so John the Evangelist, the one in the Bible. The I, one. Was, I was kind of panicking inside. I'm really glad that I was able to think of that. I know. I, I, I hate when you do that to me, so I don't know why I do I it I know to you. you do. You've actually told me. You've been like, hey, let's not do that to each other. And you've done it multiple times since then. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you talking because this is going to be me talking. This is going to be a talkie. This is, this is me kind of reading stuff and, and talking. Uh, um, but the, pretty much, I, I, I love the title. So theologian, just theo, God, logia, word. Um, so it's like someone who, who talks about God um, is, is kind of a literal translation of theologian. There's obviously a lot of theologians, but those are the only three that the Eastern church has given the title theologian to. And then basically that title is based upon something Evagrius Ponticus said. Um, he called a theologian, he says in his treatise on prayer, if you are a theologian, you will pray truly. And if you pray truly, you are a theologian. I was literally about to quote that. Nice. I was because I was going to say that I I was just reading that the other day. I mean, I've read it before, but I came across it again the other day, and it was at a point in time that I was kind of bemoaning the fact that I'm not a theologian because I was like thinking about the podcast, and I was like, I have nothing to bring to this podcast because I don't know things about things, and I just I'm don't have take anything to contribute. To tell you, and um, no, listen, let me finish. Let me. <laughs> with the, I have, I have, uh, I have someone smarter in mind. Um, that's an actual theologian that I would like to bring on. So, so just announcing like to the to world here. Um, 
sister is just acknowledged publicly. Thank God um, that she's not a theologian. So this will be the last time you hear from her. Thank you, sister, for your year of service. We appreciate it. No, but really, I when I when I give talks and stuff like that, I usually preface it by just saying, you know, I'm not a theologian. I like I've never studied theology or anything like that. All I have to offer you are the fruits of my prayer. And so when I came across. I was like in the midst of bemoaning that and just kind of wallowing in self-pity. And then I came across that quote by Evagrius and I was like, but I pray sometimes. And so maybe, maybe I am a theologian. That's the whole story. Amen. And I think that, that, that's the definition why, why you sister are a theologian. Absolutely. Um, but it's also these three men, not only were they prayerful, but they've been given the title because they also, um, the spirit worked through them in a way, as, as I see it, to, to advance the, the place of the analysis of God. John the theologian, obviously, I mean, he's given, um, Irenaeus gives him the, the image of the eagle because his theology soars above the rest. Gregory the theologian is kind of called the, 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 you know, the saint of the Trinity. He was so eloquent about, about who the Trinity was, the role of the Trinity. Gregory Theologian then took that, that idea, I'm sorry, Simeon, the new theologian, by the way, which is the Simeon that Father Nathan Simeon um, took as, yeah. as his name when he's ordained, kind of advanced even further the, uh, the, the role of the Trinity and, and the explanation, the, the, the way we see and understand the Holy Trinity. Obviously the Trinity is, is one of those, is the, the, this theologia, the, the, the deeper inner life of, of God that if you could be eloquent about that, that is obviously uniquely a gift and probably one of the greatest gifts you can receive. Um, Father Michael, I just want you to watch The Chosen. Are you ever gonna watch it for I watched me? like 10 minutes of it. Um, no, that doesn't count. I forget why I stopped. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My phone wasn't working or something. I will sister. I will. I'm, 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 I don't see it's not only for you. I will, because um, some of my parishioners said the same thing. I told them if I don't watch the chosen, it means I don't love you. So I, I, I like, I need, <laughs> I need to watch it now to prove to them. Like I literally said that to them and they knew I was joking, but they, they, I, I said that to them because I wanted like to force myself to watch it. Because you're just, as you're talking about, as we were talking about St. John the theologian, I was thinking about John and how he's portrayed on the chosen. And yeah, I just, there was, we watched an episode last night as a community and the, because it's now become, we will not watch it unless everyone is here. And this is rare, mm. which means we often have to mm. wait like weeks after an episode comes out and it's horrible because one person's on retreat or one person's on Pustinia or whatever. Anyway, so when we watched last night at one point, the, uh, Peter, I think, is introducing the apostles to someone else. I won't say who because it's kind of a spoiler. But he's uh, when he points over to Nathaniel, he's like, "That's Nathaniel." No. Oh. He's like, he's like, that's Nathaniel. He just says the first thing that comes to his mind, (laughs) and I was like, "Yes, (laughs) Nathaniel." Nice. Amen. All right. So, so I want, I want to. Well, let me explain. A little bit. So what happened was, is Gregory meets these two friends, Basil the Great. He becomes very close with them. Um, he also meets a guy named Julian. Um, so Basil, we end up giving the title the Great. Julian, we end up giving the title the, the Apostate. apostate. <laughs> yes. So um, they ended up. Many of their writings later on, Basil and Gregory's writings were were against. Julian, because they were they they fought the Arians as well. They they fought other other 
men who claimed to be Christians, but Julian was was not one of them. Julian went back to the pagan ways. Um, so anyway, th- but th- that there was, was probably an in- so heartbreaking for Basil and Gregory. Like, were they close, the three of them? Uh, probably. Oh, that was Sorry, really I'm so trying to sad. think of a joke about about your tender heart and. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. Yeah, like, let's you, joke about my tender read, heart. That's not you, a word. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did the whole last podcast was on being tenderhearted. You built it up into a good thing. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you should listen to this podcast called "What God Is Not." <laughs> there's like there's like a, an episode on on tenderheartedness. You should listen to that. Sister. It's very honest and open. It's good, discussion. exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he so. But Gregory, and and this is where my this is where I'm overly romanticizing it overly generalizing it but i think it has something to say for our our understanding of vocation and i know i've shared this with you probably a little bit on the podcast and a lot outside of the podcast um but but the he met basil basil went on to become a monastic um monasticism for for them i was certainly uh, the life of ascesis. It was the ascetical life. It was life of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But for them, they they were the lovers of knowledge, and so so Gregory really felt that 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 he wanted he wanted to li- live a life of monasticism. And two of the things he's very eloquent about was the life of monasticism provides community because he wanted community, um, but he also wanted a life of of learning. He wanted a, the the life of of erudition. He wanted to to be able to. What was study. that word you just said? Erudition, E R U D. Is that a word? Yeah, right. It means like probably. I just don't know. Learned. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so, in other words, he he wanted to be learned. He wanted to study, and so he saw monasticism as kind of the ideal of this type of fraternity, especially with, with with Basil and these other students, these other theologians he was studying with, and then also to have um, this life as well as as asceticism. I'm sure. Um, and so when he was ordained, he was ordained by his father. His father was the, was the Bishop of Nazianzus. So he was ordained um, by his father. Um, and when he was both ordained a priest and, and a bishop, he, he felt he was manipulated into those. And if you read this second oration, he's, he's very, very eloquent. The same thing happens if you read John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom and Basil, um, if you read John Chrysostom's on the priesthood, if you read both of them, that th- there is now, I, p- part of me says, that they're like, when I, when I try to humanize them, part of me says, you know, are, are they, is it, is it the right thing to say? And is it the right thing to say I was I was manipulated in, into ordination into leadership in the church? I never wanted it. Um, you know, is that kind of like Peter saying, "Oh God forbid, Lord, that you should go to the cross and die"? You know, is it is it just is, it's kind of seems like the right thing to say? But I'm I'm going to I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to say that these that these men really meant it that they were authentic when they said all I wanted was a simple life. I wanted the life of a monastic. I wanted the life uh, of ascesis, of asceticism, of prayer fasting, almsgiving, the life of, mm-hmm. of penance, of repentance. Um, I wanted the life of learning. I wanted the life of, of good community that encouraged me to be holy, that were beacons of love and of generosity and of, of orientation towards God and salvation. Uh, Gregory Theologian is also probably the one who coined the term theosis or deification. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it in his in some of his polemical writings against Julian. So he was, he was trying to show um, the, the union, deification of theosis just means union with God. It is this, the highest stage of the spiritual life, the highest stage of holiness. Um, 
So, so Gregory felt that he was, he was manipulated into leadership. Um, so this is, this is my basic thought here Hold before on. I, are you, I just want to make sure, are you going to at some point talk about, are you bringing bishops into this? Cause if not, I want to make a comment on that now. But if you're going to talk about bishops, later, uh, yeah, in general, but I don't, not really specifically, but I'm, I'm going to tie it into celibacy. Okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll just well, record what we have. Go ahead. I just, I just was thinking that as you're describing this, uh, the, the not wanting to be priests and just wanting the ascesis that they had actually signed up for and like, this is what I had discerned and so on and so forth. It reminds me of, of all of the bishops that we hear about in the prologue who were dragged away from the monastery and made bishop sometimes. This is exactly where I'm going. So thank you. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, then we'll, I'll, I'll share the, the tropar at that point too because I like the tropar for a bishop martyr. Okay. Oh yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so, so Gregory, he wants this life of learning, this life of good community. He wants this life of asceticism and, um, he is, he announces just like John Chrysostom did that he was kind of manipulated into, into ordination, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of what, what we'll get to in a moment. So don't, don't let me forget sister that you wanted to read that. Um, um, but what he does is he flees and he goes back to visit Basil and, and he spends pretty much between Christmas and Pascha, between Christmas and Easter, uh, most likely in the year 361 to 362, uh, spends that time kind of trying to return to monasticism. And, but Basil encourages him to return to his flock and to return to leadership. So he writes this beautiful, um, again, the Defuga, it's, it's called um, the Second Oration. This is pretty easy to find. So you can just look up uh, Gregory Nazianz and a Gregory the Theologian's Second Oration. If, if I remember, I'll put a link up for this as well. But he, he, he's being criticized and he's, he's answering his critics and he, he's being criticized um, from really two different sides. He's being criticized um, by those who, who don't like him and and that you know are pretty much calling him a coward uh, for fleeing what what fleeing this 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 ordination fleeing his responsibilities as, as a as a bishop um, he didn't like the city <laughs> that he was given as a bishop he calls it pretty much a, a, a rat infested wasteland um, <laughs> um, but but he but but anyway his those who don't like him were 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 angry with him for doing this and trying to belittle him and and calling him a coward um those who who did like him were also of course saying why would you flee something you you're the man we need on the ground you need these things so he writes this beautiful oration and he writes it to explain why he did it and so this this becomes then a a beautiful document on what it means to be a priest and what it means to be a bishop, because he's explaining how how intimidating that is, and and what what level of what level of virtue you have to have attained, and then also what skills and talents you have to have in addition to your own personal virtue in order to lead other souls. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's pretty much saying the reason I fled is because I'm unworthy. I wanted a simple life of, of monasticism. I am, I am unworthy to do this and here's why. So let me describe what it means to be a leader, let it, what it means to be a shepherd, what it means to be a pastor. Let me describe to you what that means and then tell me that I should just be like, oh yeah, that's a job for me. You know? So he, it, there, there's, a, there's an immense humility here and I'm just gonna assume again that that is true, an immense humility. So he pretty much begins by saying, First of all, if you want to be a shepherd of souls. So, so when I discern a vocation, I discern what's going to make me holy, 
right? That's kind of, again, if you, what's the best thing you can do, just to tie this back to marriage, you've heard this a million times, what's the best thing you can do for your, your spouse is be holy, love Jesus. What's one, the of best our, thing? one of our listeners just quoted this back at me in an email recently. Like I was, I was communicating with him and he was like, remember what Father Michael always says? <laughs> the amen. best thing that you can do for such and such is be holy. And I'm yeah. like, oh. Amen, amen. <laughs> what, then what's the best thing you can do for, for your children? What's the best thing you do for your spouse is be holy. Best thing for your children is to love your spouse. Um, you know, and, and then what's the best thing you can do for your parish, if you will, to, to extend it even further is to, is to love your family. Um, so there's this, there's this trickle down, if you will. And so, so he, when we discern, when he discerned, he discerned what's going to make him holy. That's going to be living life of monasticism with community and learning and asceticism. Um, he is pulled out of that. Um, and so he says, in order to lead, and this, so in other words, we discern what's going to make us holy. And then um, certain of us are called, in addition to that, we are given the gift by the Holy Spirit and the call by the church to lead others to be holy. And again, this this is the vocation of a parent. This is the vocation of of many people in the world is to lead others um, to, to attain something that Christ is calling them to. So he says, first, you have to be holy. Then he says, you have to not only be holy, but you have to um, desire to lead others in that holiness. You have to um, have the skills to inspire. You have to have the skills to to uh, reveal what it, what this means to be holy, and then you have to have the desire to say, "I want to lead these other souls." So he says, "Like, do I have that?" Do, do I have, do I have holiness? Then do I have the desire to lead? And then he says, and he compares it to being a physician of, of bodies. He says, a physician of a body has to come and they have to say, well, generally they're specialists, right? So I come and especially nowadays, we have all these, all these physicians who are specialists. Um, you know, I know ear, nose, and throat. I know, I know feet. I know, you know, internal medicine. Um, I know, I know, you know, helping moms give birth. Um, but he says a physician of soul, which is, which is what Jesus is, of course, the physician of soul and body, but the way that leaders in the church, priests and bishops, he says they have to not only be holy and want to lead, desire to lead, have the skills that lead, but also be able to lead every single person in their parish or in their community that has different issues, that all have different brokenness, that all have different experiences growing up, that all have different fears and different loves and, and all these different joys. So you, you have to be able to do all this. So he coins the term, and I'm just gonna read this paragraph and then, then I, I send that you have something deep and beautiful to say, sister. But I'm going to read, I'm going to read, like I can see it in your eyes. Um, so this is paragraph 16 of Oration 2. He says, but granted that a man is free from vice. This is the first thing I said. This is holiness. But granted that the man is free from vice and has reached the greatest heights of virtue. I do not see what knowledge or power would justify him in venturing upon this office, namely priest or to bishop. For the guiding of man, the most variable and manifold of creatures. In other words, he's saying that, that, that a human being, like when, you, when, you, when you're a physician of body, it's, it's, there's, you kind of know the body. Once you know the body, you know the body. But he says, well, if you're trying to guide men, they are the most variable and manifold of creatures. In other words, they're so incredibly complicated. He continues, seems to me in very deed to be the art of art and the science of sciences. Hmm. 
Leading souls, he says, is the art of art and the science of sciences. He continues, anyone may recognize this by comparing the work of the physician of souls with the treatment of the body and noticing that laborious as the latter is, being a physician of body, ours is more laborious and of more consequence. From the nature of this subject matter, namely the soul, the power of its science and the object of its exercise. The one labors about bodies and perishable failing matter, which absolutely must be dissolved and under, to undergo its fate. Even if upon this occasion, by the aid of art, it can surmount the disturbance within itself, being dissolved by disease or time and submission of the law of nature, since it cannot rise above its own limitations. Mm. So that was, he's saying, I'm not going to continue on, but, but he talks in the next paragraph about souls, but he's saying the body has its own limitations. The body passes away. You have to understand the limitations of the body to understand what it means to fix it and, and what his telos is, what his end is, what his goal is. Um, so you can see here, he's saying, you know, all of you who are criticizing me, like, do you understand the immensity of what I've been called to? Like, you must understand that, that, that I am unworthy of this, you know, in, in these various ways. But I, lo I love that phrase. It's such an honorary thing. The, the shepherding of souls, the guiding of souls, the pastoring of souls is the art of art and the science of sciences, the leadership in the church in that way. There's a, there are two Amish kids riding by right now. They're probably like, four years old and six years old. And they're on just a little, one little cart that's holding both of them and being being pulled down the road by a miniature pony. <laughs> this is how amazing. they train them to use, this is how they train them to use those carts. So I wasn't having a deep and profound thought. I I just was thinking that, it, what, what you're saying is reminding me very much of something I shared on the last podcast or two two episodes ago, I don't remember since we did the two together, but the, I think it was two ago, the, the, there's a section in the ladder of divine ascent at the end of the ladder of divine ascent, there is a, a, a letter written to the shepherd. So to the abbot basically by, by John Climacus. And, and I shared part of that, just the part about how an unskilled physician how John Climacus says he's he's seen a skilled physician use the knife to cut out arrogance or something like that, and he says, mm. but he's uh, the the knife of a harsh word to cut out arrogance. But he's seen an unskilled physician do the same thing to a person who basically it led them to despair, and and that mm. that to be a skilled physician you need to discern between what each person needs. This is this is what Gregory's talking about about the the variable the variability of of human beings and yeah. and so that whole section and then and then Climacus goes on to say all of these things about making analogies of this particular aspect of spirituality is the anesthesia and this particular aspect is the gauze and this particular aspect is the you know um and he just goes those goes on and on making the the comparison. So that's that's all I was thinking of is this this physician of souls and how he makes this analogy. So it's funny but that Gregory even uses the word ladder when he says we're all on this ladder and um so Yeah, and it's 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 really incredible. And I think this is one of the limitations of our current situation and this I want to get into this next with with the vocations crisis that we have now. I mean, most most American Roman Catholic dioceses, I understand it, are moving towards a model of kind of a mega church mm. where you have, you have one pastor 
two or three parochial vicars and thousands of families, you know, and it's, it's, that there's then this great yearning for a spiritual director that people want this one-on-one time with, with, with a priest, with, with this art, you know, this one who practices the art of art and the science of sciences or tries to, and, and they, they, they want this, they want a physician who they know. And of course this is Jesus. Um, but, but again, we, we are trying to be here, Jesus with skin. We're trying to be something, you, that, you know, someone, I know little little Annie coined that my my little niece. So there, there's there, there's something about there's something about um, this honor. So the, what I want to get into is I think one of the reasons for the vocations crisis. And again, I know I'm overgeneralizing here, but it seems to me that the way it worked in the early church is that you either discerned marriage or celibacy, right? St. Paul says, I wish you could all be like me. Mm-hmm. So in other words, he, he, is, he is promoting celibacy. And St. Paul says that, that, you know, I wish you could be like me because it's an, it's an unmediated, in a sense, undistracted life um, where you don't have the responsibility of a family and you can focus more on God to, over, to, to um, generalize what he's saying there and the way that the church has interpreted that. Um, and then, so you, you have that call. You can, you can have the call to celibacy. Then you can also have the call to marriage. The call to marriage is, is, is the normal life. As you mentioned last time, sister, we are all called to marriage by the fact that we are human. Um, some of us are called um, in a, you know, alternately to, to have a, a supernatural calling in addition to that natural calling that is to celibacy. Um, and now there are also various reasons. Again, St. Paul says that, that, in other words, if you, if you cannot live the life of celibacy, in other words, if, if, you, if you feel um, driven, you know, burning with lust in a sense is, is just a horrible way of looking at, at needing to get married. Um, but that's kind of what he's hinting at. If, if you feel that, that, you, that, you, know, you're, that you need to, to express the side of you, you need to have the companionship of a spouse. You need to have, you know, the, 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 the joys of a, of a sex life. You need to have children and raise children, have all the joys that come from all of that, then get married. That's a good thing. Um, now there's something unique here though. Um, I had the friend of a friend wrote his doctoral dissertation on Augustine and Augustine, we know in his confessions, admits to a lot of sexual promiscuity. Well, at least, at least, uh, uh, some attachment, um, to a sexual relationship in his early life that he didn't want to, he didn't want to get rid of. And he ends up, of course, um, be becoming celibate in, in, in the end mm-hmm. and, and desiring the holiness in that way. So, um, uh, this friend of a friend that wrote his dissertation believes that, uh, that Augustine may have said that, I am incapable because of my lust, because of the way I think I'm actually incapable of having a good marriage mm. because I will, I will not be able to separate my wife um, and see her truly as, as a full human being. I will always be lusting. And so he felt that he, I mean, he, he, like, he became a celibate out of necessity. Now, St. Paul is hinting it the other way. Like you, you may discern marriage out of necessity and Augustine, maybe according to this guy, um, maybe became celibate out of necessity. And that's kind of my point, right? We discern what's going to make us holy. What life, either marriage or celibacy, is going to make me holy. I think here in the United States and in the West, we too often desire leadership in the church. And I think this is very, very dangerous. It, it's, it's, can, now can there's make, nothing. Can I make one clarification before yes, I move please, on? Please. So please. Are, you, are you saying that you think marriage or celibacy need to be discerned before you then discern even priesthood or monasticism or whatever? 
I will die on that hill. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you, it's like you if, need to if discern. I discern celibacy, the say let's say I'm a man because I don't. Anyways, mm-hmm. if if a man, <laughs> why don't why we don't have to use me? If a man discerns celibacy, he then can discern whether he's called to celibate priesthood uh, or celibate asceticism. Uh, uh, that's where I'm going. I don't. That's I'm. I'm, I'm I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And again, I'm overgeneralizing here, but 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 no, and I, I think I think that's true. Um, but but anyway, hear me okay. out, and then then I'll then I'll okay. explain it. So you you discern what's going to make you holy, either marriage or celibacy, and you 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 discern that because of a wide range of things. If you can be celibate, certainly discern celibacy. Um, Augustine maybe couldn't be married. And he knew that, so he, in a sense, had to be celibacy, celibate for his salvation. Some people have to be married for their salvation. Now, again, I know this is removing kind of the romanticized JP2 vision of, of kind of falling in love with one or the other. And I still use that language. I absolutely fell in love with celibacy. But, and there's this, we, we, and we need that positive. I'm, I'm assuming that all of our listeners have, have been, have already heard the language of discern and fall in love with one or the other. And you will find joy there and have happiness, you will, you will do all these things, make it completely positive. I'm assuming all of our listeners have heard that because I've said it myself a million times. I'm, I'm now adding the other side of it and saying that there is something about, about the, the sacrifice of marriage and the sacrifice of celibacy that we need to say, is that sacrifice going to make me holy? Mm. You know, like I said earlier, is, is, is having children that, 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 that humble me all the joys. Again, please don't get mad at me. I'm assuming that that marriage is 95% joys, right? <laughs> Having children is 95% joys. Oh, that's a high Sisters number. Laughing, so probably all of you are too. I'm assuming that marriage and the companionship of it and the sex life and everything about marriage is just is 95% right. pure and un- unmitigated joy. But but in other words, if somebody says like I, I, I understand that part of my part of my movement towards marriage and my acceptance as vocation is because it's going to make me holy. The good and the struggles, you know, both things, the 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 joys and the challenges. The same thing with celibacy. I I I love my freedom. I love my freedom. I, I my lifestyle, a, a, a wife would would never tolerate it. Like <laughs> never. That j- it just would not happen. But th- that is nothing compared to the joys of marriage. Like that's not why I became celibate. Mm-hmm. I became celibate because I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna make. Me holy. I think this is what, what I need to make me holy. And certainly a vocation, a call is in there. But I think what our, what our church has gotten away from by only emphasizing the positive kind of God's call. And we use the term, you know, a celibate marries the church. And we have all these, these terminologies that, that, that I think are overemphasizing the positive rather than I need this. Mm. I need this. And so I think what happens when you say, I need this is you have people in all humility, discerning one or the other for the salvation of their soul and the upbuilding of the church. When that happens, then the church itself, the body of Christ with this structure that it has of the hierarchy and the parish structure within that, then I think this is the called by name part. This, the man himself who, who, who is being called by the church, the leadership in the church, he's not the one that proposes that. I think we've, we've gotten away from the fact that you see in Gregory Nazianzen and John Chrysostom that, that they, they had to be pushed into leadership. Mm-hmm. Because again, what does the scripture say? Call no man father. I think this is actually part of that, right? Don't, don't, don't desire 
the leadership aspects of ministry, desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple. And then if you're a good disciple, if you're a good follower, the church and the people in it will call you onto leadership, mm-hmm. you know? And by, I think, I think we need to understand that. So I, I knew a situation, I may have even shared this before. Somebody was saying that there was a Coptic church where the, this, this priest went to the Coptic church and they saw like 15 deacons up on the altar and like more than half of those were being moved to priesthood. And he said like, how do you get so many vocations out of this tiny church? And he says, he says this is what I do. He says, no man asks for ordination ever, mm. but every man who is asked says yes. Mm. So, we, we have this attitude in the church of, yeah, oh, a man wants to be a priest. Uh, like he, 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 and now again, I, that doesn't mean like God calls us to that. And he's of course going to soften our heart. And we have to agree. I'm not saying anybody should be manipulated into being ordained. Absolutely not. We have to agree. And we have to feel that call and even agree with the fact that the church is calling me to this because you can be called for the wrong reasons. How many vocations directors, how many priests say, oh, to a kid like, oh, you look good in black or you'd make a good priest because you stay after liturgy and pray. Like, like we, we, the church can call the wrong men for the wrong reasons. As a vocation director, I guarantee that. But, but if, if we we can purify that process. I think it would be, I don't think we'd have a vocations crisis. I think we'd have a lot more clergy if, if men didn't say, I want to be a priest or I want to be a bishop. Now that doesn't mean they don't, that might mean that God's calling them to that, but I think we need a greater role among the parish. We need more people in the parish, in the, in the pews, if you will. Um, I shouldn't have said that in standing, standing in, in the, in the Byzantine church, right? More, more parishioners who, who are, are trained and, and told, you know, like I encourage the men who in your parish do you want to lead your soul? Who do you want to be a shepherd? Who do you want to practice the art of art and the sciences of sciences? Who do you see that as the potential for virtue and then to lead others into virtue and then understand how varying the human souls are in this community and can deal with each of those in a way that is only empowered and able because they tap into the grace of Jesus Christ. They lead with his leadership you know, I, th- I think before, before you are contact, before you contact a vocations director, a young man does, and I'm critiquing myself here because I went the, the kind of the traditional way, like, oh, I'd like to be a priest. That'd be kind of fun and cool. You know, <laughs> like, I just, I just think we, we, th- there's a place for that, but, but I think we'll, we'll get more vocations and, and more people will realize the call that Jesus has for them to discern priesthood. If, if there's a lot less, I want to do this and a lot more, the church seems to be calling me onto this. And I'm actually kind of resistant because that brings me out of my life of holiness. Cause again, the Byzantine church, we have a, most of our pastors ideally are married. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, imagine saying, you know, this man discerns celibacy, he goes to a monastery and then he gets called out of the monastery to be a bishop because bishops are celibate. This man is married and has a family and he gets called out of his job as a engineer or contractor or manager to be a priest mm-hmm. because the people said, sorry, you're going to make less money. Your family's going to be poorer. Your, your family's going to be living in a bubble in a, in a fishbowl because everybody does that with their pastors, but we want you to be a priest and there should be some resistance. But I, my holiness comes from from living a good family life. Well, yep, and you you're you're holy enough for us. We want we want to push you in this direction. So, mm. spiel mostly done. <laughs> mostly. Uh, what do you think about this, sister? Do you, do you think that that would be as helpful to our vocations situation as I? Do? I think yeah, I think it would be helpful. I think that there are a lot of nuances there, and there's a lot of just mm-hmm. just 
that we don't have time to go into all the nuances, but I do want to at least state that there are nuances there so people don't think that this is like black and white, what you're saying. But, I think we have time for two nuances. So what are some well, of those nuances? Well, one of the things is just a, a very practical thing is like, Yes, I think what you're describing is the ideal. People should be people should be asked, they should be sought after, they should be called by name and all of this. But in the meantime, as that's not happening, <laughs> then people do need to step up and say, "Hey, I feel like the Lord is calling me to pursue this." Um if if in the meantime, the people of the church or the leaders in the church are not doing that. Okay, I I agree with you. But, <laughs> but I think, but I think it's much easier to tell the people in our parishes, you know, like, like, like pray about this, look around, interact, become interdependent, become a real community and have a real intimacy with the people in your parish. Sure. And then, and then tell me who this is. I don't think that's that hard to train people in. No, I, I agree that it's not hard and I agree that it's totally feasible, but I'm saying right mm-hmm. now it's not happening. And so, okay, Father Michael Lachlan is doing that in his parish. What about all of the other parishes where that's not happening, then none of I, those people are supposed to to no, pursue no, priesthood. Yeah. Like, so that's, I'm Thank just you. saying there needs, like I do see the need for people to still step up in their own discernment right now because that's not happening. Um, or in and, the and again, I'm, I'm not making this black and white. I'm not saying any young man should not go to his pastor and say, I think God might be calling to a priest. If you're, it, please do that, mm-hmm. please do that. Um, but I, I think that it needs to be accompanied more explicitly by by the people saying this. But but again, has that young man discerned celibacy or marriage? I think that's what the priest should do first. Sure. His pastor should say, if the man says, I want to be a priest, he go, the pastor goes, oh, buddy, you're, you're a few steps, uh, steps ahead. Like, if this is our first conversation, what do you feel about marriage and celibacy? Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I agree I, with I, you I, there, yeah. Yeah, so, so in other words, priests, please, you know, before before a man says this, because I think one of the one of the big issues um, in in both churches, but especially in the West, that still has celibate only priesthood, is that that young men are willing to sacrifice everything to be a priest because they hold it in such high honor, and that's beautiful. But unless they, I believe, unless they have explicitly discerned celibacy mm-hmm. in a sense as separate from ordination and leadership in the church in that way, that that's just that the, the romanticism falls away after a year or two. You know, they they they're not they're not as happy as they thought they'd be having such a, a quote high vocation or a mm-hmm. higher calling, and and then they they realize you know that that oh, there's a lot of good looking beautiful Catholic women in those in those pews that 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 you know would would be make very very happy wife mm-hmm. and make them have a very happy life. Um, yeah, but I think I think that a place that can start is with the what God is not listeners, like you're saying. You know, like listeners, please Amen. please do go to. Um, to your pastors, if you if you notice someone else in your in your parish that you think would be would be a good leader, might have a call to the priesthood or something like that, and maybe all they need is is that invitation to discern. And this brings us back to what you were saying earlier, sister, about you know there were we hear in, in our prologue mm-hmm. in the stories of the saints that I mean these men were were dragged you know out of the monasteries. Um, to be made bishops, they did not want it. I mean, they, they wanted they they were happy, they were holy, and then because of that, the church says, "Well, we want you to lead us." I mean, how how many hermits 
were were made, you know, hegemons or abbots of monasteries. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to lead a bunch of other souls. They were trying to escape all that. But because of their holiness, people just started following around them. Um, you know, and the same thing is true in our, in our Byzantine tradition for married men. If you're if you have a married man in the parish and you're saying he might have a very successful career, but but buddy. I'm I'm calling you to discern discern becoming a pastor and a priest and and you know you know are are you hearing this pray about it but but I want to I want to add my name to the list yeah. but um you want to read that what was the tropar well, sister for I don't I don't know that I can say the whole tropar off the top of my head but there was one line from it that I wanted to share but because it is it is there's something beautiful about I've never combined these two before but but we do want someone obviously um, yeah, it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, uh, probably for one holy hierarch, maybe, or bishop martyr. It might be bishop martyr. So the you're talking about how you're, you know, you were talking about what Evagrius says, Evagrius Ponskis or Evagrius of Pontus, what he says about how the theologian is one who truly prays, and one who truly prays is a theologian. And and this is mm-hmm. this is what we need in our church. You know, we need, we need bishops. We need priests who truly pray. Like that's how we're going to get the leaders who are theologians. That's how we're going to get the leaders who actually know God is the ones who truly pray. And so it makes sense that, that the bishops are being pulled from the, the monasteries where, where, where people like Gregory have gone simply because they want to learn to play, pray. They want to immerse themselves in, in contemplation. And so there's this line. Did you find the tropar? Uh, which one is it? Uh, what, what line um, are you talking about? The, the, so my, my favorite line from this tropar, which I think is maybe the tropar for a bishop martyr, but it's, you found access to contemplation in the active life. Yeah. And, and I just love that line because it's like, there's actually a bishop that I know of who was a monk and he was pulled out of the monastery to be a bishop, modern day. And, and this 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 poor bishop just has such a monk's heart, and like you know that he just wanted to be a monk <laughs> and, and wanted to go back to the monastery, you know. Um, but I like that line: "You found access to contemplation in the active life." It's like you, the the church needed you, and but God was able to to help you find that that contemplation and that access to intimate encounter with Him in the active life. So just uh, you you inspired me, sister. Like just to 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 say, to say we should all discern. We should all discern what's what's going to allow us to be holy and what's what's going to be the way that Jesus decides to save our souls. Um, but but the not all of us are called to leadership of other souls in that way. Mm-hmm. Again, the normal is that we, yes, we lead the other souls in our family because that's the normal vocation. The natural vocation is to have uh, um, other people in my family, namely spouse and kids, who I lead those souls. Mm-hmm. But to lead to lead souls that are not your family, that that's a unique calling that I think we do need to stand in greater humility in front of. So there's a difference between discerning what's going to make me holy, um, the, what what God's going to use to make me holy, and then and then I, I with with great trepidation do I discern shepherding other souls. I think that's the kind of Gregory's point here. But anyway, and, here's the here's the whole tripart. Go ahead. No, share the tripart. So let's. Uh, so this is for one bishop martyr, one priest martyr from our book. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put the name John in here. I'm just I'm sure there's a priest martyr John somewhere. Um, you shared in the apostles' way of life and succeeded to their throne, divinely inspired bishop. 
You found access to contemplation in the active life. Therefore, you rightly taught the word of truth and struggled for the faith to the shedding of your blood. O priest, martyr John, pray to Christ our God to save our souls. So in other words, you, you found access to contemplation. You found access to prayer in the active life. So you, you found a, a prayerful life even in the world as a leader. Thus, you taught the word of truth. You yes, prayed exactly. and thus you were a theologian. You were able to. That's yeah, really, that's really well, cool. Um, yeah, one, one last comment. And this is, well, this isn't a nuance actually. This is actually backing up your point of what you're saying about not all who are called to this particular way of holiness are necessarily called to, to leading souls outside of your immediate family in this way or whatever. Like we're not all called to leadership um, in like to, to great scales or whatever. But the, I think that is a good, a good point to make and an important point because we need to remember that in this discernment, because this is part of the, part of the, struggle we get into now in the West is this very independent mindset and this this mindset of like, I choose what's right for me and something like discernment of vocation is very much a, a mutual discernment of of with the church, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. discerning marriage with someone, that decision is not just yours. It's also the decision yeah. of the the person that you desire to marry. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same as we're discerning a vocation in the church. We've had to make this point very clear uh, at the monastery because, you know, there, there have been women who they're just like, um, oh, I've discerned this is for me. Like, when can I enter? And it's like, ah, we haven't discerned that yet, <laughs> you know. And exactly. and it's the same. It's the same. So if you if you like feel like you have a call to the priesthood, but you're discerning with the the vocation director or the seminary or whatever, and they're just like, you know, like we're we're not seeing it, or or we're not seeing it right now, or whatever. Like there needs to be a trust in that as well, and to know that the church has a part in this. It's like it, one of the things that drives me crazy. I think just because I've heard it so many times in such a cliche way, I don't like the phrase God willing. And I know that that's probably not okay that I don't like that phrase, but I don't, it drives me like, because, okay, will of God, that's fine. But, but people use it sometimes. It's just like this cop out or this, this follow up of like, well, this is what I want God willing, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, and seminarians do this particularly. So I'm sorry if you're one of the seminarians who drives me crazy with this, but the, the time that it makes me the most irritated is when they've already had their call to ordination or whatever it is from the church. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember what that, but it's like the call to orders or something like that from the church. So yeah. it's like they're being ordained and it's like, well, ordination is in two weeks, God willing. And I'm like, God wills it. God wills it. The church already called you to this. You've got the documents. What if they die? <sighs> <sighs> what if they die? I just sister? don't like it. It's It sounds overly pious and it sounds insincere and I don't like it. And that's me being very judgmental. I probably shouldn't have said any of that on the podcast, <laughs> but anyways. <sighs> We're not going to edit that out. So I, I guess that's my <laughs> that's my thoughts. I, I I think I think we don't need a total black and white one eighty on the way that men discern the priesthood is what I'm getting at here. Mm. We don't need a we don't need a completely different way of doing anything. But I think the church, both the man themselves and the parishes they come from, and the vocations directors and the dioceses and eparchies, um, and the universal church needs to probably start bringing back this idea of a great humility before a vocation to leadership in the church. And then that means that the man himself needs to be 
more humble and be just primarily seeking out a life of holiness. And then the church needs to be more explicitly um, discerning and, and looking for and seeking out those who may be called to leadership within the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I like that a lot. No, I, I do. I do. I agree. I agree with the, I think it's a, a needed paradigm shift. I just think that it's, it's that it's a paradigm shift and that it takes some, it takes time and effort to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's going to start with the what God is not listeners. Amen. And that, that was my kind of my disclaimer in the beginning mm-hmm. to say like, not only I'm not saying that's how the time was in Gregory the theologians time. It's not like they were, everybody was just like every Bishop was, you know, being dragged. I mean, there's that one story about the one Bishop who, who, I mean, the, during a time when this was happening this monk was being dragged to go be, to be half hands laid on him to become a Bishop. Mm-hmm. And he's screaming and he realized that, you know, probably, oh, cause that, that happened many times, you know, monks being dragged, kicked and kicking and screaming and they had hands laid on them and they became bishops and now they had to lead. Um, but there was one story that the man like just stripped naked and started cursing like at the top of his <laughs> just lungs. Just to scandalize them every, enough. <laughs> every curse where he could. And so like, it was the perfect way of getting out of it because they said, we don't want a bishop who everybody has seen naked and <laughs> dragged out of the street and who has just publicly screamed every curse word they know. I, I um, always so wonder, successful. I always wonder in the prologue when we say that, that one of these men was dragged away and then um, made bishop, quote unquote, in a mysterious way. <laughs> we're all at the monastery. We're all like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean in a mysterious way he was made bishop? I don't know what that means either. Yeah. So. Maybe right. Father Deacon Jonathan can enlighten us. He knows all go. the things. Yeah. So. Amen. So shout out Father Deacon Jonathan, please. All right. Um, prayer intentions. Do you have anything else? Shout out or anything like that? Or um, I'll save shout intentions? outs. For, I have two, but okay. I'll save them because, yeah. Because um, we're recording again later this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, uh, evening for me. So maybe I'll have a have a beer. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. So I'm going to ask for prayer intention. I'm just going to say my parents, Barbara and David, they've been, I have really great parents. I don't share enough awesome stories about them, but I was just feeling especially grateful for them yesterday. And um, they've both like really been, supportive and like stepping up in ways that I, um, anyways, they're just wonderful, amazing people. So you've met them both. They're great. But yeah, David and Barbara pray for them. Okay. And, uh, I'm going to ask you just to pray for two people that are sick and in the hospital. Um, one of them, I, I don't, I don't have explicit permission to use names. So I'm just going to say, we'll name one of them, Laura, which is not her real name. And then another one, uh, Katie, that is not their real name. So pray for Laura and Katie. Uh, Laura is is hopefully getting out soon. She's been in the hospital for now for 10 days. She has a, a grandchild about to be born. It was actually due two days ago. Um, so being, although the baby is being born in the exact same hospital where she's mm. staying. <laughs> so anyway, they'll be close anyway. And the other one um, had had a, it, likely a stroke. They're mm. still trying to figure it out, but but she's young. This is Katie, she's young. So um, please, please pray for both of them as they figure out what exactly is going wrong. It'd be really and funny. The of the people are effective. It'd be really funny if their names are actually Katie and Laura and like you just... Swap the two. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I do is what I do. This is you think I, of something I, I with the same letter because that's what, with the same last letter of the word. No, I'm just kidding. The same first letter. Yeah, that's what I do too. <laughs> All right.
Anything else, sister? No. Any last words of wisdom? Please just give the blessing. We need your prayers. Say something wise right now. Say something smart and wise. Say something life-changing, sister, and hilariously funny. Uh. That was perfect. All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May the Lord give you everything you need to be holy. May you discern his will well. May you hear what he has to say about his desire for union with you now and for all eternity. May you respond in a way that he empowers you to do. May you understand the gifts the Holy Spirit has given. And may, if he does call you to leadership in a family or in the church, in the world, may those in your life who you have invited into your community, where two or three are gathered, Christ is there with us. May we together as a community discern those who we want to lead us and may they be blessed by the church. May the church also be given wisdom and remove any selfishness or any uh, lack of Christ. May the God send the angels to always prevent the work of the devil in the workings of the church. May Lord bless you and all those you love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Love you. Love you, listeners. Love you too all. God bless you.